which is the month of art, stories, and metaphors. So before introducing our guest, let's start with a story. It's called The Love of a Mother. The gardener was walking hurriedly to the hut. It was now more than an hour since he had left his meal to heat on the fire in the house. And he was afraid that his forgetfulness would cause him inevitable inconvenience brought about on the occasion. As he passed by the corner of a pile of small stones that lay beside the house, he tripped over and fell flat on the floor, as stretched out as, he, as his body would go. He drew his battered body up onto his elbow in, and his face was covered with dust. And he said, how much you love me, Mother Earth. As soon as you see that I put my feet in the air, you run to embrace me. So this is a story written by Triang Kutanda, who is our guest today. Um, he has a PhD in educational science and a BA and an MA in psychology. In addition, he's a translator, a communicator, and an author, as you've heard, of 16 books, fiction and essays, and translate, those were translated into 12 different languages with an international bestseller, The Gardener. Social and environmental activist in Spain and Scotland, he actively participated in the indigenous movement, which is the forerunner of the um, Occupy movement, and the People's Climate March, and has been one of the initial drivers of Extinction Rebellion in Spain and Mexico. Founder of the educational and activist NGO, the Avalon Project, Initiative for a Culture of Peace, his research has given rise to the Earth Stories Collection. Welcome. Brian, such a pleasure that you are here. Thank you very much. And what a welcome with one of my stories uh, from the gardener. Thank you very much. I feel very honored. Thank you. Yes. I just, I, uh, I love the stories in, in the book and I'm sure, you know, this is one of the reasons why storytelling um, also is so important um, for our, um, our, you know, for everyone actually around the world. Um, Please share a little bit more about yourself so we get to know you a bit better. Okay. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I am too old. Uh, that means that uh, I have uh, had time to, to make many things. Then maybe one of the last things is my hunger strike, my, my 33-day hunger strike made in, in September in 2021. It was together with my my mate in Extinction Rebellion, uh, Karen Killing. It was the longest in the world. I don't know if in this moment uh, someone has made uh, a longer uh, hunger strike, but I feel uh, proud to, to do this, uh, this action, this uh, non-violent action uh, against, uh, against climate uh, change. I don't know what I can say about me. Maybe my 
my most important um, thing uh, is 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 the, the most important activity for me is uh, spirituality. Uh, the Gardener was uh, my first book, and the first uh, books uh, I, I wrote uh, were all of them uh, about spirituality, nature spirituality. Uh, in, in, besides this, uh, I don't know, I have been a musician when I was young. Um, I have been an actor. Uh, I have been a, a sports psychologist. I was in the uh, World Rally Championship, um, coaching a driver in, in the World Rally Championship. Uh, he was a uh, Spanish champion and then a world champion in private uh, teams. And uh, I don't know, uh, I can say just that uh, I make my living uh, translating is, is the, the only the only activity in which I can get money. The rest is uh, for free. Then I am working around 70 hours per, per week, but uh, getting money maybe just uh, uh, 10 hours per week. The rest is for activism, is for the Earth Stories collection, is for writing, I don't know. I have a, a lot of years and I have made a lot of things. Yes, for sure. Um, and you say, you know, writing is what I make my, um, you know, money with. Um, but do you think, you know, writing and translating is very important? So in one of your publications, you talk about the translator's educational role and the involvement of the translation studies in the value system of sustainability and the culture of peace. And you conclude that beyond the current concept about the work of translators and interpreters, they, they could become agents of education in a global society, given the strong intercultural aspect of the exercise of their profession. So can you elaborate on why this is so important to you? Really, it is not so important, <laughs> really. Uh, what is the, the, the matter here? Uh, when, I, when I wrote this uh, paper, uh, it was for a... Uh, for uh, an invitation that I received from the University of Baghdad for an uh, international conference on uh, translation studies. And uh, for me, uh, what happens is, is that uh, I try to, to change the world. I, I, I am trying to, to make a positive change in, in the world uh, around, around us in every aspect of my life. Then when uh, the, the University of Baghdad uh, suggested uh, to me uh, to participate in this conference, I said, okay, I, what I can say about translation studies? And I said, what I am doing with everything that, that I am doing in my life. In fact, uh, all my life has been uh, aimed uh, to, to this uh, uh, goal, the goal to change the world from the, the 8th uh, December 1979, when I was 22 years old. Um, it was my, is my goal in life. I, I, I decided to, 
dedicate my life to to try to change this world, to to live a, a better world than when when I arrived here. I am. This is a failure, as as everybody can can see. Uh, but this has been my my goal in everything that I made. I I was even, for example, I was a radio broadcaster for six years. Uh, 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 guiding, uh, directing a magazine in the morning. And I, I remember that even the contests, even the, the game uh, shows in, in the program, uh, I utilize, I, I uh, use this, this contest to try to transmit new thoughts, new ways to be in the world to, to my audience. Uh, then I don't know. In translation studies, is just uh, to try to use uh, your your work, your field of activity, to make a better world. Mm -hmm. Everyone can do that. Can do that uh, to to use uh, their uh, field to to make a better world. Yes. So um, we met. Um, in 2019, when when um, the Earth Charter uh, did the um, the conference on education for sustainable development, and um, and we talked a lot about um, education for sustainable development and specifically about value education. And can you share with us why value education is so important to value nature and for the transition in a way of living that does not abuse our natural resources and is in balance with our ecological system. Values education is, is crucial, but in my research, I, I went beyond values education. I tried to, I tried to uh, arrive to a deeper uh, point, uh, which is a worldview education. Because uh, according to your worldview, uh, you, uh, you build your beliefs, your values, your uh, attitudes, your habits, your lifestyles, then uh, I think we need to go beyond the, uh, uh, the axiology, beyond the ethics, beyond the, the values to arrive to uh, the worldview, because the worldview is the base, is the, base, uh, is, is the hidden part of the iceberg uh, in, in, uh, and the, the open uh, side of the the iceberg is is the lifestyles uh, in, uh, that we are uh, uh, using in our life, but the the deepest uh, part is the worldview. Um, and in my research, I I found that Donella Meadows Donella Meadows was uh, one of the was the the leading uh, researcher in uh, the limits to growth. Uh, 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 research made in, in uh, published in 1972. Uh, uh, Don Lamedos was one of the most important uh, system uh, dynamics uh, expert in the world. And Don Lamedos said that uh, in, she established 12 uh, leverage points uh, to change a system. And she said that the second most important leverage point most powerful leverage point uh, to change a social system uh, was changing paradigms, changing the worldviews. 
and this is the same uh, thing that uh, said Gregory Bateson. Uh, Gregory Bateson said something very similar in uh, his theory of learning levels and social change. He said that the second uh, uh, learning level uh, and uh, the second most important learning level uh, able to, to uh, provoke a social change was uh, exactly the, the same, changing worldviews. Then uh, this means that uh, we need to change our modernist worldview, uh, this anthropocentric, mechanistic, uh, materialistic uh, worldview, a worldview that is uh, separating uh, elements in reality. And we need to change this worldview for another, an integrative uh, worldview, uh, which is ecocentric, organicist, is uh, based on consciousness, and is uh, able to see uh, holes. But maybe, uh, as I said before, uh, my main activity is uh, spirituality. Uh, both uh, Gregory Bateson and Donella Meadows said that the uh, most efficient way to change a social system was in the level of the uh, transpersonal, uh, on the transpersonal level. Uh, even uh, Donella Meadows, uh, a scientist from the uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, said that uh, the most important leverage point to change a social system was what uh, the uh, Buddhism uh, calls enlightenment. Then uh, I think these uh, two uh, leverage points are uh, the most important. Mm -hmm. the transpersonal one and the worldview uh, change. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Could you give us some examples of where or what sort of methods people have used to, you know, change worldviews or get people together, perhaps from different cultures, different religions, different approaches, or do you have some example or one example for us? For me, it's, it's very clear. When, when I proposed the creation of the Earth Stories Collection, uh, uh, the stories in every culture in, in the world, stories have been the ways in which uh, these cultures have transmitted, have uh, conveyed uh, their worldviews, uh, myths, legends, folk tales, uh, fables, is the way in which uh, every culture is transmitting their worldviews. Then, in this moment, as uh, uh, Joseph Campbell, uh, Campbell uh, said, maybe we need the new uh, myths, legends, uh, and folk tales, uh, which transmit a complex systems worldview, um, ecocentric, systemic, uh, organicist, uh, holistic worldview. And this is the, the, the origin of the Earth Stories Collection, the idea of the Earth Stories Collection, which is based in, in, in my uh, PhD research. Yes, I'm gonna ask you a little bit later on share, to share one of those stories. Um, and what triggers me is that you're talking about, we have to change our modern worldview. Um, and you're actually um, referring to a new worldview which is based on traditional worldviews, which um, traditional stories, indigenous stories that have 
the worldview that is more holistic, that has a, a different value, a different connection to nature than, than most of um, our uh, modern narrative. Um, and in those um, Earth story collections, you connect the Earth stories um, with the Earth Charter. And so for many years, you've been promoting the Earth Charter as an ethical framework for um, the necessary worldview transformation to, to face the current challenges. Can you share with us how you came across the Earth Charter and what it means to you in, in your work and in your personal life, if there is any difference between your work and your personal life? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I found the, the, the Earth Charter uh, through a friend, Alfonso Fernandez Herrería, mm -hmm. who is a professor, a emeritus professor now, of the University of Granada. When, uh, when we started uh, the Avalon project or NGO, uh, uh, Alfonso uh, um, involved in our project. And at the beginning, uh, the Avalon project was based uh, on, on the Manifesto 2000 uh, from UNESCO. But Alfonso said, there is something better for, to, to make the framework the, uh, the ideology framework of, of the Avalon project. And, and he explained us uh, about uh, the Earth Charter. From that moment, we said, okay, the Earth Charter is our framework uh, of uh, values, principles, ideas. And uh, for me, was, uh, it was a surprise because uh, it was suddenly to find an international document speaking about spirituality, even about indigenous cultures and about, for me, the most important, the community of life. The concept of community of life is in itself a, a worldview, as uh, Alfonso uh, himself uh, says. Uh, the concept of community of life, I think, is the most important a point in the Earth Charter, because it's uh, transmitting uh, a way to be in the world, just uh, feeling in the same level as every uh, living being and not living being uh, in, in the same level as everything on the Earth. Then uh, for me, the Earth Charter is is the international document that is uh, representing best uh, my way of life, my way to be in the world, and my way to understand life. Yes. Yeah, I'm so happy that you, I agree with you that the, the, you know, the, the concept of, um, you know, the community um, of life is, is, incredibly important, a very powerful way of, of looking at, at um, our world. Um, at the same time, I read, I, a lot of people that I encounter, and if, if I talk about, you know, the Earth Charter, and I talk about, you know, care, respect and care for the community of life, a lot of people translate it themselves, the community of life is us human beings. Um, so you have to, I have to actually explain to them, you no, know, the community of life is not only as human beings, it's all other animals, it's all other living beings, and actually yes. our yes. ecological system. Yes, yes. I think 
the, the, uh, I think this is uh, one example uh, that explains why it is very important to change our worldview. Because just uh, seeing what means community of life and the ways in which people can be uh, interpreting this concept, you are seeing how far we are from the, the best worldview that we can uh, sustain uh, in order to create a true uh, sustain, sustainable uh, civilization and not civilization, society, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe yeah. better than civilization. Uh, I don't know. I think it's, uh, it's very important, this concept. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and very important inside the Earth Charter. Yes, I agree. And, and you know, I've been working with um, you know several indigenous communities around the globe. And if we if I talk to them about the community of life, I never have to explain it. I mean, they they grasp that idea. Um, it's more you know towards the Western cultures that we forgot. Mm -hmm. um, that we are part of a community of life and just part of a community of life. Exactly. So, so um, talking about native storytelling and indigenous uh, narratives, how did you get involved with native storytelling? How did the idea emerge to use the principles of the Earth Charter in your analysis? Well, I have been interested in Native American cultures for many years, many years. Uh, I am, I am in love with their spirituality of nature, and uh, I am fascinating, uh, fasc fascinated uh, by their way to understand uh, their relationships with nature. Uh, for example, for me it was uh, very important when when I uh, realized that many cultures in Native American uh, cult uh, peoples. Uh, they asked for forgiveness to the animals they hunted, or they perform, uh, performed uh, mourning uh, rituals after the, the hunting. Uh, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating uh, to find cultures which are uh, capable to, to be in the world in this way. Uh, on the other side, um, when I was a, a child, I don't know, maybe 10 years old or something, I remember I, I read uh, uh, a book that marked me forever. It was Flor de Leyendas, is a flower of legends mm. by Alejandro Casona. It was, this was a, a national literature prize in Spain. And I was fascinated with the stories. Um, then, when I was 30-something years old, uh, I was fascinated with the matter of Britain, with the uh, Arthurian uh, cycle. Then, this mixture of uh, loving uh, uh, the spirituality of Native American cultures and loving stories made that when I made my research in, in not, not just in, in my PhD research before in my uh, master research, then suddenly I, I thought, okay, maybe 
uh, maybe we can find a way to to change our society with stories, transmitting a, a, a different worldview through stories. And uh, I can say that uh, in my PhD research, I found two very important uh, findings uh, about the stories of uh, uh, these uh, cultures. I compared, I, I made a, a content analysis on 136 stories from all around the world. And then suddenly I said, okay, maybe I can compare the results, results in um, components of complex systems thinking and the values and principles of the Earth Charter I compare the stories from oral cultures with the stories of written cultures. And the difference in statistical terms was significant at, at the highest level. Oral cultures, uh, the stories of oral cultures have a more uh, com uh, systemic uh, components, more values connected with the Earth Charter than stories from written cultures. And then I made another uh, comparison between uh, regions of the world. And the stories from the Native American cultures were the best stories in all the world with the highest level of statistical significance in complex systems thinking and uh, uh, um, illustrating the values of the Earth Charter. Mm -hmm. Then we need the stories of the Native American cultures above all in the world, because they can transmit us the worldview that we need to maybe not avoid, because maybe we are late for that, but mm -hmm. uh, we need these stories to try to mitigate the disaster uh, to, to what we are going, going now. Yes, yeah. That's really fascinating. I can't wait to read your PhD. Um, did you find something similar with regards to Aboriginal or other, you know, native cultures, but not uh, Native American? Uh, I compared in, in the second comparison that I made, I compared uh, uh, per, uh, regions. One region was uh, Americas, another region was Australia and uh, um, uh, Pacific uh, uh, Islands. Uh, there were different uh, zones, even Africa. I divided Africa from the, the Sub-Saharan Africa as oral cultures and North Africa as written cultures. And uh, all the oral cultures uh, had most uh, more uh, systemic components uh, than the rest of the written cultures. But uh, I, I say uh, Native American cultures are the most, uh, uh, the, the stories with uh, the, the best, uh, um, content about uh, systemic thinking and the, the values uh, 
illustrated by the Earth Charter. Uh, after the Native American cultures, it was the uh, Australian Aboriginal cultures. They, they have also uh, more uh, systemic uh, components than the, the Sub-Saharan African cultures. But all of them, more than uh, written cultures, all of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's, it's all about connection to land and connection to, to ocean or to, to water. Um, and that connection explains the, the system, you know, being part of the system, um, if we're talking about connections. Yes. Now we've been talking a lot about stories and we want to hear a story and a story that, that is part of your Earth Stories collection. And um, when, when, we, when you, know, you tell us the story, can you also um, after that explain is, you know, to which Earth Charter principle it's connected and why, why it is connected? Okay. Uh, the best story in the Earth Stories collection is a Native American story, is Who Speaks for Wolf, is an Oneida story from the Iroquois uh, um, tribes, uh, but it's too long to, to, to tell uh, now in, in this uh, space. But uh, maybe there is another story, it's not a Native American, but it, it is a, a wonderful story also. It's uh, Indra's Net, it's uh, an Indian Buddhist uh, story. And uh, I think is the story uh, that uh, best uh, represents the systemic uh, uh, worldview with uh, its uh, interdependencies uh, and interconnections. I hope uh, you like this story. One night at the end of one of the Basa retreats in the Jetavana Park in Sravasti, one of the followers of Buddha asked him, Master, what is the ultimate foundation of life and the world? Siddhartha Gautama raised his eyes to the sky and contemplated the stars. Then he smiled as if remembering. The ultimate foundation of life and the world is the net of Indra, god of the natural forces that protect and nourish life. He finally said, lowering his eyes to look with affection at his disciple. Indra established the foundations of the world in the Tushita heaven. To do this, he hung over his palace on Mount Meru, a net of silk threads, like a spider web, which extends to infinity in all directions. In each knot of the net, he put a precious gem, which reflects in its perfect facets all the other gems that cover the net. When you approach to look into any one of those gems, you discover that the gems reflected in it reflect in turn each and every one of the other gems of this immense silk fabric and so on to infinity. Mm. I do not understand, Master, said the disciple frowning. Where are all those gems you are talking about? 
I do not see them in this world. You are one of, the, of those gems, Buddha replied. And every person, every animal, every tree and plant, every insect, every speck of dust that floats up into a sunbeam and down onto a road is a gem of the net of Indra. Every emotion that you feel and all the feelings that all beings have ever felt, even thousands of years ago, and every idea that has crossed the mind of each being since the beginning of time, is a gem of Indra's net. Within you is reflected everything that exists and everything that has ever existed in the universe. And you, yourself, are reflected in everything that exists. You are inside each human being, each animal, tree and plant, each speck of dust, each idea or thought, or each feeling to infinity. At every moment, the whole world is within you and you are inside everything that exists. Also in your mind, you see yourself as an independent being and you feel separated from the rest of the world. In truth, you are part of the common existence of everything that has ever been. You could never exist by virtue of yourself, by yourself alone, because you exist by virtue of the glorious existence of everything around you. A tear appeared in the eye of the disciple and all the stars in the sky were reflected in it, as if in a gem. And Gautama Buddha added, with a look that seemed to caress the soul of the disciple, that is why I say to all of you to take care of the happiness of everything that surrounds you, all of, of, of all beings, whether you believe that they live or feel or not, because they have their existence also in the depths of your heart. This is the story. Uh, this is a metaphor uh, that was developed in the third century within the Mahayana Buddhism, specifically in the Abhatamsaka Sutra, and later between the sixth and eighth centuries in the Uayan school in China. Uh, numerous uh, authors have drawn attention to the met metaphor of the Indra's net as an explanation from intuitive knowledge of scientific discoveries about the non-dual, holographic, and fractal relational matrix of the universe. And this story is uh, illustrating the interdependence is illustrating one uh, section of the preamble of the Earth Charter that says, we stand at a critical moment in Earth's history, a time when humanity must choose its future. As the world becomes increasingly interdependent and fragile, the future at once holds great peril and great promise. Uh, I hope uh, you you have uh, liked this story.
it, it's beautiful, just beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And also for um, putting our attention to the preamble of the Earth Charter, because a lot of the time we focus on the principles, but I think a lot of information, a lot of, of very important information is actually in the preamble. Um, and, and more or less the same is true about the preamble of um, in the Agenda 2030 of the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, so in the preamble of the Sustainable Development Goals or the Agenda 2030, um, there is a lot of value for me, maybe even more than in, in um, the goals itself. Um, and there are some, you know, there are some things within the sustainable development goals that I have some pro problems with. But um, at the same time, it, it has drawn a lot of attention worldwide. You know, 162 countries signed the Agenda 2030, the Sustainable Development Goals, as, you know, a way forward. In your opinion, can the Sustainable Development Goals also contribute to the transition towards a more, towards to works a more just, sustainable, and global, um, peaceful society. I can say that the Earth Charter is uh, uh, is offering an ecocentric worldview, but the SD, uh, SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, are uh, offering an anthropocentric uh, worldview. There is a, an important difference. Mm -hmm. And because this, I prefer, like uh, heaven to earth, I prefer the Earth Charter. I prefer the Earth Charter. Um, in, in the economic context in which, and, and the materialistic context in which we are living, uh, yes, maybe we need the SDGs. We need the something that, uh, is better than, than nothing, but uh, uh, the, con the concept of uh, uh, sustainable development itself is a problem. Mm -hmm. It's a problem because it's a Trojan horse in, in the middle of the environmental uh, education and environmental movement, uh, because this is an economic and uh, quantitative uh, concept is a concept that is made for uh, the capitalist uh, framework. And the Earth Charter, uh, maybe we can say that the Earth Charter has not been, uh, has not been accepted uh, by the superpowers in the world because uh, it's not exactly uh, following the capitalist uh, rules. The ecocentric worldview is not uh, of the liking of the capitalist uh, system. Then, uh, together with Fridjof Capra or, or Moasir Kadoti, uh, they are saying also that the concept of uh, sustainable development is anthropocentric. But uh, I, I, I would add that According to Gregory Bateson, in, in his uh, theory of the three levels of uh, learning and social change, uh, he said that the first level of learning is a level uh, 
in which uh, education changed things a little bit in order that nothing changed. Uh, I would say that the concept of uh, sustainable development is, the, is, is on our first level learning uh, based on uh, level. Uh, because sustainable development is a concept that markets uh, inserted in the, in the environmental education and the environmental movement in order to deactivate uh, these uh, movements and uh, ways of education. But I, I would add another thing that just two days ago uh, appeared in, in the media. Two days ago in resilience.org, uh, which is a program of the Post Carbon Institute, on the 23rd May, 2022, appeared this uh, news. 100 scholars from 17 countries called to delegates of the United Nations Global Platform for Disaster Risk Reduction, and textually, to teach the concept of sustain sustainable development due to 30 years of proven, proven uh, failure from its allegiance uh, to global capitalism. And they say textually, these uh, 100 scholars say, coming in the wake of the failure to meet all the millennium development goals, failure to meet the SDGs is an indication of a systemic problem. If the way modern societies operate cause the problems that the SDG, SDGs seek to address, can, be, uh, can we be surprised that those same systems are incapable of uh, fixing them? It is becoming clear that the assumptions that underpin the SDGs are invalid, including continual economic expansion. And at the end, they say, we publicly call on the United Nations to drop the redundant and un unhelpful ideology of sustainable development. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to rethink all these uh, things. I think that we know we not need to rethink the Earth Charter. The Earth Charter is perfect, or maybe, uh, maybe it's not perfect, but it's, uh, it's in the good way. But we need to rethink the uh, SDGs is my, my feeling. Yes, yeah. As the SDGs are based on economic growth and that is something yes. that we definitely don't need. <laughs> Not in the Western world anyways. And, and we need, in this moment, we need the growth. In this moment, all the scientific world is saying in, in Extinction Rebellion, there is a section is a scientist rebellion and is made by hundreds of uh, scientists and they are saying we need in this moment the uh, to the growth because if not uh, we are going to the collapse of all civilization yes we need degrowth growth for sure yes 
Thank you so much for sharing that. That's that's actually it's hopeful news, don't you think? If, if these scholars are saying, you know, this is a concept and it's been embraced by a, a lot of people, a lot of countries, a lot of organizations, but it's actually, you know, it's the Trojan horse, as you're saying. Um, and we really need to rethink it. It means that, you know, people are starting to, to see that we need a different worldview. Yes, I think we need to to rethink uh, because it, it is clear in this moment that we are going to a collapse. The collapse that uh, Donella Meadows announced it in 1972 because uh, she, uh, in, in her analysis with the, the best computers in, in the moment, uh, he found that we, uh, uh, we were going to a collapse of our civilization between 2035 and 2050. And this uh, research was replicated uh, for uh, 40 years until uh, 2012, and the results were the same. Mm. Every, uh, every time has been the same results. And the results say that between 2035 and 2050, we are going to a collapse. At least we uh, change the course of our civilization. Because this, we are. Uh, trying to to do uh, to do or work in, in extinction rebellion and the scientist rebellion and all the people and all the organizations and social movements that in this moment are uh, uh, are working to try to the governments uh, take uh, make decisions yeah so so when we're talking about Extinction Rebellion, can you share a bit more about your engagement in Extinction Rebellion and some examples on you know, how individuals can be actors of change in a peaceful and loving manner? My involvement in, in Extinction Rebellion was uh, the, the direct result of, of uh, this worldview that I have been uh, uh, exposing here. Our view, uh, which uh, emerges from, uh, um, from, from the spirituality of nature at the end, because uh, it was uh, from my time in the mountains, from long periods of uh, time immersed in, in nature, uh, from that experiences is from uh, this worldview comes for me. And when, uh, when you feel, uh, is, I think this is uh, best explained by Arne Nais, who was a, a Norwegian philosopher uh, who uh, devised the, the deep ecology uh, philosophy movement. And he said that when we are for uh, long periods of time uh, immersed in nature, we at the end have an expansion of identity. There is a, an identification process in which you not just feel identified with the, the boundary of your skin, but at the end, you, you can feel that you are also maybe a tree or maybe the wood. Or in a moment, you can feel that your identity is expanded. 
in that moment is when you feel that uh, you are uh, life, that you are planet Earth, that you are everything. Then when you have this idea, when you have these experiences, then uh, when you know that uh, we are destroying uh, thousands of uh, species in this moment, you need to do something. And this is Extinction Rebellion for me. Extinction Rebellion uh, was, for me, was a, a nice uh, finding because suddenly I said, okay, this is what I want to do. Uh, I need to go to make a civil disobedience. I, I need to, to make nonviolent direct actions in order to try to stop this uh, crazy thing that is our civilization in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, any person, any individual who is uh, trying to do something, my suggestion is go to Extinction Rebellion or, or, or whatever, a, a social movement or organization, but, but go. I say Extinction Rebellion because Extinction Rebellion is very direct. Mm -hmm. is uh, civil disobedience, is just going to, to the problem, direct, not, not more words, not more lobbies, not more, no. Uh, we need to, to make something, uh, I don't know, in, in, in English, in Spanish is contundente. We need to make, tenemos que hacer algo contundente, uh, something powerful, you know? Then for me, Extinction Rebellion is, is, uh, has been, um, my way to, to feel better uh, while seeing how the world that I, I knew when my, my youth, how this world is disappearing. This is a very hard experience when you are seeing that uh, uh, many of the things that you knew are disappearing day by day. And uh, the markets are not are not willing to 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 stop, and the governments are not uh, ready to to stop the markets. And then, uh, uh, civil society must uh, uh, act now and uh, and and power in in a powerful way. This is for me extinction rebellion, and I think that. Uh, it's a good uh, way for many, many people. Yes. And, and apart from Extinction Rebellion, you, you mentioned that um, you've also been uh, much involved with the Global North, the Global South activists, or uh, Shale Must Fall and um, Depth for Climate. So could you tell us a little bit more about that as well? Well, uh, for me, it, it is clear. In last year, uh, I was invited to 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 make a documentary for the uh, uh, the anthropological uh, the Royal Anthropological Institute uh, film festival. Uh, I was invited to make a documentary, and I explained it there uh, that uh, for me, and I think in, not just for me, for everybody, the the real front of the climate change and the 
destruction of our planet are in the global south, are in Africa, in Latin America, in, in India, in, in the global south, in the, not in the rich countries, because at the end, the people who will suffer the climate change will be the people in the global south. Then, uh, not only this, but also I have friends, I have uh, activist friends in Colombia, in Argentina, who are, uh, who are being uh, um, threatened uh, to death because they're fighting, because they are fighting again against fracking, against uh, the destruction of their uh, environments. And uh, for me now, it's not just a, a new that uh, a news news that uh, arrived from from the global south. For me, are real uh, people in this moment. Uh, I remember even uh, Oscar Sampaio, an activist from Colombia, saying in 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 the in the chat in WhatsApp, saying to the rest of the the mates in in this activist uh, uh, endeavor, saying us. Uh, the government has, uh, uh, has uh, taken off my uh, bodyguards and I, I had to go uh, to uh, Bogota in order to, to be hidden because they, uh, he knows that uh, the fascist uh, paramilitary groups are trying to kill him. And when you, when you receive this information, your feeling is, wow, what? What can I do to, to, to help? What can we do to, to avoid uh, this injustice, this uh, uh, terrible injustice? And then for me, it's very important the, these uh, platforms in, in which a Global North activists and Global South activists we are working together for me are very important in this moment we are working we have been working with shale must fall uh, uh, fighting against the, the fracking uh, um, exploitation in in global south uh, countries is incredible the the evil the evil that uh, they are doing in these countries and in this moment we are working on uh, in, in another platform is Depth uh, for Climate, in which we are trying to connect uh, social uh, justice movements with environmental movements in order to, to get uh, a big uh, mobilization in order to get responses from the economic world, the International Monetary Fund and World Bank uh, above all, because they are uh, financing all this destruction. Yes. Yes, and that's sometimes the hard part when, like for example, in the in the Netherlands, but also I know, like in Spain, there are these banks where there seems they are doing more for you know looking at in what ways money is funneled or used or what is it financing. Um, but then sometimes you find out that these banks are part of other consortium banks that have, um, you know, not those sorts of lofty goals. Uh, and that is true, of course, also for products that we buy or consume or places we visit. And, and that makes it, of course, 
quite challenging. And, and sometimes I, I know that from my family or my friends, they sometimes say it's, it's so hard to know what to do because everything is, you know, connected or it doesn't seem so clear. And, uh, and therefore it's always really nice to have them um, places, you know, that you can say here, you can do direct action uh, like Extinction Rebellion, or you can help, you can, you know, uh, because that, that is often the hard part also. A lot of people want to help, but they don't necessarily know how um, to be in action and what they could be doing. And uh, so that's, that's another way of trying to, um, you know, get more people on board. Yeah. Everybody can, can do something. Yeah. It, it is clear. Yeah. It, just trying to, to have a coherent uh, uh, lifestyle. And, but we, we, we must uh, be uh, aware that uh, 70% of the damage in the atmosphere is made yeah. by, uh, by uh, big corporations. Then it is not enough that people uh, be coherent uh, in their consuming uh, habits. We need to, to, to do something more and we need to press to our governments in order that uh, the markets uh, cease to to press or the, the governments in the world in in Europe we are uh, tired of seeing how markets have been uh, uh, directing the politics of the European Union from uh, the beginning and this it, the only way to stop this is with the uh, uh, involvement of the civil society in the streets. Yeah. And not only in the streets, getting information. It, it is more in, it is important. And in this moment, it's dif difficult because the, the social media is intoxicated with fake news and intoxicated mainly by uh, fascist uh, groups, uh, uh, introducing uh, uh, fake news, but we need to, to get information. Information is power and we need good information. We need to know what are the, the main, uh, the main uh, newspapers, media, uh, that can uh, offer us uh, good information and, and trustworthy information. It is very important in this moment. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. It's and it's about uh, unity of humanity. So you recently, I, I watched um, the living legacy of uh, Roger Garaudi, uh, which people can. We will have a link with this um, this conversation, so you can watch it uh, if you want to. Uh, in which you are one of the enactors, and there is a discussion on the world of like meaning and icons and symbols and uh, in which things that are like mixed, you know, historical, real uh, idealizations, emotions um, to form a symbol that Roger Garaudi understood to be useful in today's antagonistic world. Uh, a symbol that unites us with love and peace at its core. And can you, Share us uh, a little bit more about that unity of humanity it's and spirit very, and being spiritual or spiritualism 
um, that resonated through for me also, which is something that you've mentioned several times in this conversation. Yeah. You have been investigating investigating all my work. <laughs> thank you. I, am, I, I feel well, very... Thank you for all you do. It's, it's really important and, and it's beautiful. Uh, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's very much appreciated. So we're very happy to connect with you today. I never expect uh, uh, that you uh, even uh, saw this uh, this uh, this documentary film. Uh, thank you, thank you very much. About the unity of humanity, um, I think just uh, explaining about the community of life, uh, you will understand that I prefer uh, go beyond that beyond the unity of humanity. I, I prefer go beyond that. Um, as in the in the Indra's net story uh, is uh, show it, um, we can remember also in your mind you see yourself as an independent being and you feel separated from the rest of the world. In truth you are part of the common existence of everything that has ever been. You could never exist by virtue of yourself, by yourself alone, because you exist by virtue of the glorious existence of everything around you. I think the, uh, here is uh, here it is explained uh, my idea. It's not just the unity of humanity; is the community of life, as we have been talking at the beginning of the of the meeting. Um, but not only the community of life uh, thinking about the living beings, but also the apparently non-living beings, including stones, including the wind, the ocean, and the clouds, even. Uh, in this uh, sense, and coming uh, back, going back again to the Native American spirituality, uh, one of the rituals that uh, my wife and I are uh, doing for, for many years now is the, the sacred hope. Uh, in, when you uh, invoke Mother Earth, we say, Mother Earth, Makaina, in Lakota, we have come together for the healing of all your children the stone people, the people who are standing, that is, uh, trees and plants, the four-legged, the two-legged, the ones that crawl on the ground, those with fins, those with fur, those with wings, and those who are made of dream stuff, that is, the fairies. Mitakuye Oyasin is the sacred uh, Lakota uh, phrase is all of all relationships. This is my idea. And I think uh, with uh, these ancient uh, uh, words, it is all said. Uh, for me, it's much more than the unity of humanity. Yes, absolutely. And I think like you have talked a lot about um, civil uh, disobedience, but in a peaceful way, in a um, 
in a loving way, in a respectful way. And also, of course, much of what happens in this world that is impacting other beings, other peoples, other animals, the greater community of life at the core has to do very much about human behavior change. And, and to me, I guess that sort of talking about how the unity of humanity in understanding that how, how do we come together as peoples from all kinds to you know, be more kind and compassionate and caring for everyone else that's on this planet. So I, I really love how you have threaded that through this whole conversation and highlighting that we need to come together to make that change for the community of life. And you, you wrote a book um, that, that uh, Irma uh, read a story from in the beginning of this um, conversation in uh, The Gardener. And you share all kinds of inspirational stories there. And now almost 25 years later, um, you know, since it was appeared, what are some of the most important wisdoms, if you like, from that book that maybe we need to revisit? Or, and of course you have talked about, maybe we need other stories, but if you would write or look at that book again and say, okay, today I need to write something or, or pick from it, what would, what would that be? Uh, well, there is, there is a, one of the stories I think is one of the stories of the gardener. It's a beautiful story, I think. It's about a young man who is uh, suffering about the suffering in the world. And he goes to the gardener asking for guidance. Maybe I, I, would, I would change this story. Because when I uh, wrote The Gardener in, in 1995, I thought that maybe just uh, working inside, maybe we could change the, the, this world. And with time, as time uh, passed over, I, I realized that it is not just uh, inner uh, work, it is also uh, outer work. We need to be in the streets and we need to work inside in fact, my wife and, and I are working in this moment inside in a deep uh, uh, spiritual uh, work in order to get uh, also a change in the outer world. But we are also in the streets. We are also uh, doing our activism work. But maybe this would be one of the few things that I, I, I would uh, change in, in the garden. I think that uh, the most of the uh, main ideas uh, that I conveyed in, in the Cardinal, I think they are uh, pre prevalent. They, they are uh, useful in this moment. They are valid in this moment. Uh, the unity of uh, all life, uh, which is one of the things that uh, I tried to transmit in the Cardinal, I have, uh, we have been talking about this, the need to uh, abandon a materialistic and uh, separating worldview. This is another thing. We need a worldview based on consciousness. Even I would say, maybe it is not uh, fully explained in, in the gardener, but I would speak now maybe about something like the panpsychism 
the old animism, now is uh, named pansychism by uh, a, a good bunch of uh, scientists. Between them, uh, Roger Penrose, one of the most important physicists uh, of our time, they are saying that maybe uh, the universe is made by consciousness and not by uh, something material. And uh, if the universe is made by consciousness, maybe we can connect with everything around us. In short, uh, I, I think we need to overcome this old uh, worldview, materialistic, mechanistic, uh, anthropocentric worldview. Uh, we need to adopt uh, uh, the hopeful and promising idea that everything is alive and that you can establish relationships with everything around you, uh, that we are not alone, that we uh, were never uh, alone, but we were surrounded by life and consciousness uh, wherever we look at. I think this is uh, the most important message that I think in the gardener was present um, 27 years ago, <laughs> 27, wow. <laughs> I think this will be the, the only way to build a really sustainable uh, society, respectful of Mother Earth and her community of life. Beautiful, thank you. Yes, I think that's a perfect ending of a very interesting and very in-depth um, conversation. Thank you so much, Triana. It was that was an amazing conversation, and um, we will make sure that you know the gardener and, and all the other beautiful stories, the Earth Collection stories, um, will be in you know available through the link. Um, um, and I I'm very grateful. Um, to have talked to you again. Thank you so thank, much. Thank you very much, Irma, Sabrina. Thank you very much for offering me this uh, chance to, to speak and, and explain my ideas and feelings. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.